What's going on, quitters? How are we doing? You know me, and my name is Max Allen. Welcome to another episode of Don't Quit Your Day Job. Today is Ju- July 25th, 2021. Tomorrow is my birthday. So as of release day, yesterday is my birthday. So say happy birthday to me and uh, be a good little quitter and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I would love it. Um, this week, uh, weekend is very exciting. Uh, one of my very close friends is staying with me for the weekend. Um, I haven't hung out with him in two years in person. Uh, but this person is known. We've been friends since uh, my senior year of high school. He's an amazing writer, artist, woods wanderer. Everyone, please welcome Campbell Morgan. Yeah. I'm so excited to have you on. Thanks. It's been a long time coming. It is, yeah. <laughs> so for the listeners, also, uh, Campbell has listened to every single episode Everyone. of this podcast. So if you were on this show and you're listening to this one, he he knows who you are, too. Yes, I do. <laughs> so, Campbell, what do you do right now? I am a writer. Nice. I write fiction, memoir, and sometimes poetry. Nice. Cool. So we're going to get into the origins of this. So when you were a kid in school, when did you first discover you were into writing? Kindergarten. Really? That young? I I called my mom the other day in preparation for this question. I was trying to ask her. She said that I didn't pick up a pen or a pencil until I started playing some Mario video game. And then that's all I drew. She said, you drew a perfect Mario. And I was like, he's going to be famous. Whoa. But you didn't write anything at that point? No. Uh, uh, in kindergarten, I remember being taken out of the class and some adult man was sitting there and asked me to tell him a story, which he transcribed and they made it into a little book, much like the ones that I make now. Interesting. And I illustrated it and there was an about the author section. And I think it was something that all the students did. But for most of my life, I thought it was like, oh, my God, they chose me. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's what what I would have assumed the same thing. It's uh, like like, why are they picking you of all people also? But did, did that feel like did you have a good story you dictated? Do you remember what that was about? It was called Pokey Dawn, the first book seven. <laughs> Pokey Dawn, the first book seven. Yeah, it was just a complete ripoff of Pokemon. Okay. That I drew my own versions of all of them, and it was like, Ash. It was like literally the same story. (laughs) But it was just crazy to me that I uh, got to illustrate it, and they laminated the cover, and it was like cut out in a design. I was just like, wow. And I think that's a big part of why I write now. Mm. I remember when I was in first grade, they had us write short stories. And mine was like the main character was Ash from Pokemon, right? Oh, yeah. And I wrote in the detail that both of Ash's parents were dead. <laughs> it, like, because I didn't want to write parents for the story. I was yeah. like, I just want to write the story about the kid and where the parents are. They're dead. Okay, whatever. We'll move on. And then I turned this thing in. And then my parents ended up having to come to the school. And my teacher was like, um, he wrote that both of you guys are dead. And I was like, it's not me. It's Ash from Pokemon. <laughs> like, don't you understand fiction? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> no respect for the artists. Never. <laughs> so you 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 dictate this story, you illustrate it, they make it into a real thing, and you live your whole life thinking it was just you who did this? Yeah, until I called my mom the other day and she was like, I don't remember that, but I assume they did it for all the kids. Mm. Like, why would they have chosen you? And I was like, dang. No, yeah. <laughs> so did that stick in your mind as like, I'm the storyteller here? I think so. Just looking back, that that was the first time that I wrote something and having a physical artifact made mm-hmm. of it was a, had a really big impact on on me. Mm, interesting. So where where does this take you? Do you just do you start when do you start actually like writing for pleasure in your journey? I I did all throughout childhood. All of my stories were basically like boy adventure befriends animals. That okay. those were all my childhood stories. That's you now, so that's that makes sense. Yeah, it was just it was <laughs> it was like uh friends with boa constrictors and it was it was like the and I would read these weird novels about like is basically survivalist stories of mm-hmm. people going out and like slowly over a year befriending a falcon. And I was like, oh my God, that's what that's what my life is gonna be like. And <laughs> just writing stories based on that. And yeah. So that that was what you're probably in elementary school when you're making those? Yeah. That was all throughout elementary school, chilling by a creek, catching crawdads and mm-hmm. stuff, and just always being um near nature but i lived in the middle of denver and is just this one little creek going through this apartment complex but Mm -hmm. that i was gravitated there i was like that's where it's at (laughs) i I totally get that i mean i i grew up uh okay so for the listeners campbell and i are both from arvada colorado and there's a big trail and creek that goes through through there called the ralston creek trail most people live pretty close to it, mm-hmm. and that was like like ages like six to like ten. I was like there all the time. Yeah, it was the best place to be. It's best like place. Flowing water is some of the best influences to be around. Yeah, especially when you're a kid, because you just get to like throw shit in it yeah. and like watch it float down, or you can build like we always built forts near the river. Yeah. Like we'd find some like hollowed out tree and like build up barricades and bridges and the golfers would always tear them down because it's right by golf courses. <laughs> <Yeah>. They were dicks. <laughs> Fuckers. So when you, uh, you, you're writing animal husbandry tales yeah. and survival yeah. guides, um, totally. yeah. do you, when you write these things, are you, are you stapling them into book shapes or are you just writing on like loose leaf paper and leaving it? That was back in the spiral notebook days of elementary school. And I would just write, these half stories that were basically like i even today i'm really good at the first chapter because i wrote so many first chapters and then just lost steam okay and so that that's all those stories as a kid was just like a really badass intro and then nothing interesting and did you just have like one notebook that you just filled with them there's a bunch of notebooks that maybe that's the only thing written in them at all Mm. So it's kind of like a patchwork of stories throughout a box I have at my mom's house. Interesting. Oh, so you still have them? Yeah, most of them. Whoa! Yeah. <laughs> it's time for it's time for adult adaptations. Fill out the rest of the stories. <laughs> yeah, they are not good, but they're nostalgic. I remember when I was in kindergarten, 
I wrote, I was at a park with my mom and I wanted to write a play and I just did like, I dictated it to her once again, very much animal themed, like Mm. a a guy, a kid in the woods meets a bunch of animals. They do. I don't remember what the plot was, but I brought it into my like preschool slash kindergarten and I was like, all right, I wrote this play and they actually had all of us as a class do it. Are you serious? But I wasn't like the main character. I was like a side character. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't even you didn't even get cast as a lead in your own play, right? And also, there were so many kids in this class that they were like, "We want everyone to be involved." So there was like eight people who were the main character, oh. and they would walk around the room. And there was like twelve of everyone. Else. That <laughs> like, is so sweet. That is awesome. It was very inspiring, but uh, also uh, that went nowhere. <laughs> it went nowhere. <laughs> There's You're no now, no longer a playwright. That was your one and done. No, yeah, exactly. I don't I don't do that. I wrote a joke one in college. One time called Spy the Musical. That was like a spy. It was like I have a PDF of it somewhere still, but it's just like a bad like it's like an ironic thing. I don't know. You know what college kids be doing stuff, you know? (laughs) I'm so edgy and cool. Yep. So when do you when do you break out of uh, animal husbandry novellas? Um, maybe around fifth grade. Okay. Then I got the book because of the books I was reading. I was very like imitating everything, you know. The first thing mm-hmm. I draw is Mario, and then I was drawing Garfield all the time as a kid, <laughs> all the time. I can still draw Garfield, but when I was a kid, it was like really spot on. And then I was reading all these like animal adventure books, and then I got into fantasy mm-hmm. and uh, like Inkheart, Harry Potter, um, just random kids books and then i started imitating those in my stories mm-hmm. and so the first full book that i wrote was called dragon quest and i wrote it in fifth grade and i did it in math class or like the portion of school that was math every single day mm-hmm. i would write a chapter that was a page and a half in a spiral notebook and i got through the whole and i was like i had a whole series planned and it was like this big thing oh my god <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was really fun and it i've read i read that every couple of years and it's bad but good i don't know good for a fifth grader yeah yeah <laughs> i'd make all my friends read it like oh my god that's crazy that like one thing that's always uh like blown my mind in terms of like writers is the ability to write a whole book and stay in the same tone of voice and stay on subject like i'm like you're telling me someone writes a thousand plus page fantasy novel and they sound the same all the way through it it's crazy to me like the consistency is wild Easier than you'd think, but difficult to actually maintain. Mm-hmm. So you, <laughs> so cats are knocking over stuff out there. Uh, so you write, you start writing like this. I, I feel like you told me about this dragon Probably. thing, Dragon Quest. Yeah. When I like a, a couple minutes ago in this episode, I was thinking, I was like, is he the someone I know has like a whole book they finished about dragons that they wrote when they were a kid? I couldn't remember if it was you or someone else, but. There, there was no dragons involved in it. I don't know why I called it Dragon Quest. It was like some, <laughs> it was like some gladiator type thing. Well, this family was like captured by some empire, and they had to fight in a gladiator setting. And they broke out, and they were like running from the 
secret police, basically. Nothing to do. Dragons didn't even exist, in, <laughs> I don't think, in this universe. I like that you just described the plot of every young adult fiction yeah. ever. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just imitating at that point. Now, you were ahead of the curve as a fifth grader? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you, when do you... When are like uh, when do you when do you start writing like personal stuff like about you? Mm, when when I was seventeen, I didn't write from the age of maybe eleven until seventeen. I just got real wrapped up in that trauma lifestyle, mm-hmm. and uh, I I remember I started journaling at seventeen, but I I really took it seriously in a way that i tried to make these journals um multimedia and kind of mm-hmm. artsy yeah i think i've showed one to you yeah yeah because okay so for the listeners campbell and i were became friends probably about 17 no you were probably 18, 18 at that time yeah. uh but we lived together our freshman year at cu boulder Ooh. and that's that's when you showed me everything you're like i just like journal a yeah. lot and i draw pictures everywhere and i remember it was all like different colors and it was very clear that you were like you were writing something to be read later and enjoyed yeah and it was just like little and it was all centered around me and my just trying to like communicate um how i was feeling it was difficult for me to describe my emotions at that age mm. and i and it's embarrassing in some level to think about it now but I would just hand these journals to anyone that I met at that age at 18. I would just hand it off to everybody. And it was essentially like, understand me, understand Mm. me, understand me. And so that was like the kind of seed of what grew into writing later. That makes sense. Cause like, you you got me to start kind of journaling and you would just always go through it. You're like, can I go through it? You're like, all right, yeah, that's fine. But I didn't like write anything personal. I was just like an insane person. <laughs> I remember those. I liked them. Yeah. Dude, when I moved uh, back home after my first like year and a half at CU Boulder, I wrapped those two journals in duct tape and I threw them in the recycle bin. I was like, this needs to be gone from yeah. the memory of mankind. To like cringy year old shit. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the cleansing. Yeah. It's like a release. Mm-hmm. So you start journaling and I remember because like in high school you were like drawing a lot you were doing more art yeah i was really into the visual art microphone adjustment (laughs) there yeah so you you but like it was very what one thing that struck me was like you were journaling so much but then like the all of the borders of the page were just filled with like drawings everywhere yeah it was very purposeful designed journaling mm-hmm. that took a lot of time effort and thought oh i remember you got a fountain pen too yes yeah i was obsessed with the fountain pen there it was like i had this whole ritual of lighting incense turning on the christmas lights like journaling it's still that particular kind of incense still brings back that m- landscape of memory for me wow that's that's wild. I just remember like because I'd be like playing Xbox in like the living room with like <laughs> with our roommates, oh, yeah. and I'd come in and you'd be like you'd be write like two words, and then you'd have to hold your journal up to the light bulb to get the ink <laughs> oh, yeah, to dry. To, get it to dry. Whoa! <laughs> I completely forgot about that. Yeah. Oh my gosh! So when you 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 journaled for like years, is yeah. that was that like the sole thing you would write at that time? You would just only work on the journal. Yeah, it was it was the 
the main thing that I did. I tried to write down everything. I kept, I carried around little pocketbooks too mm-hmm. for my whole year in Boulder. I carried around pocketbooks and I read, I, I remember sitting with someone years ago and reading through them. And whoever it was, they just remarked, I forget right now, they were like, uh, you just describe pe- people's clothes a lot. <laughs> there was just something I was so. I don't know. I had I had such an emotional connection to everything I was seeing mm-hmm. that just I was trying to like ca- I I had an obsession with capturing everything. Yeah, and just writing everything down is how mm. I did it. Interesting. So when so I I feel like I remember the pocket notebooks too. Yeah. When do you were at this time? Were you like dabbling in poetry at all, or is it just kind of strictly journaling? Yes, I was writing a lot of poetry at my the latter half of high school and in the beginning of college I wrote a lot of poetry. Oh yeah, and you 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 went to some collective thing. I remember the radish collective. Okay, yeah. yeah. That was like where a bunch of like artsy kids were going to like read poetry and do performances. Yeah, and it was like an art open mic at a co-op in Boulder. Oh my god. Yeah, and the co-op was called the Radish Collective. That was like the house mm. name. And then they would have wine and poetry nights every last Saturday or something like okay. that. Okay. And what was funny about this is I remember like you and like a handful of our friends going. And I was like, where are you guys going? You're like, oh, the Radish Collective. And you're like, you're like, you can come if you want, but I know you're going to hate it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just a bunch of hippies sitting yeah. in the house. Like, And there was some really interesting performances there. Mm-hmm. Really great. I That was real formative for my... I never, I think I read once at the very end of my mm-hmm. time there, but I really love to just be in that environment. Well, you said it was formative. What kind of takeaways did you get from it? Um, the, the living aspect of art, the way that when something is that you write down, which is sometimes a really solitary act, can, can be given life when performed. Mm. and seeing a bunch of people do that and you know showing themselves in this really particular way and i had a really um specific lens that i was viewing everything around me at that age that everything was so romantic and the even in my memories the colors are very bright and saturated mm. and that um i would go i I wasted that year of college. I just took a bunch of metaphysics classes and spiritual stuff. I was like that kind of kid for an age. And um, I would take my classes during the day and have this little blue penny board, those little plastic skateboards. And I would just ride that around Boulder until I got somewhere close to the mountains. And then I would disappear into trails and, and I would go off of trails, which I understand is, is causes erosion now but at the time i would just disappear until it the sunset and then come back to the dorm and just like see what was happening it was Dude, like that year we we climbed some sketchy stuff yeah i was really obsessed with bushwhacking just like let's go yeah. that way let's see what's up there i i will always look back on that so fondly because it was so much fun but yeah. as i became a more experienced like rock climber i was like we were fucking idiots. I was like, I yeah. was standing on like hundred foot ledges in like skate shoes that weren't even tied. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it was it was dangerous, but that was like, I don't know what we were doing. <laughs> we're stepping. I remember, yeah. Oh my god, jeez, there were there were some 
sometimes like oh when we when we hiked into El Dorado Canyon over the flat irons there yeah. and we had to go down through that like water drainage part where all the rock was like smooth yeah and that's always sketchy when you get somewhere and you're like wait where are we we have to go back and it's like well that looks like it goes downhill let's just try that and it's like you you can get some bad situations yeah. like that but moral of the story is uh stay on trail unless you know where the hell you are <laughs> yeah. i just cuz that that time i was i just remember being like the slope must have been like 45 degrees like just and it was like completely smooth rock except for a few patches where we would slide down our butts to like the next tree root yeah. or like the next yeah. like dry spot and then at the bottom there was just like a sheer cliff and like you braved it you're like i'll figure out the way down and you're like you oh gotta scoop God. between these two rocks and you have to grab this one thing but you'll be fine if you do it dude i still do stuff like this i'm not gonna lie <laughs> hearing you talk about this i'm like oh yeah i still it's it's insane i feel like all of my hiking in years past like there's one bushwhacking route that i'll always do up the right side of the first flat iron <laughs> that's like the main one but other than that i'm like so careful and skeptical i don't i try not to get stuck in those situations yeah there was and that's just kind of that's just kind of how i was at that Mm -hmm. age in a in a in a metaphorical sense i never wanted to take the path i wanted to do my own thing i remember getting in an argument with a um, some professor in Boulder who was teaching a section on Buddhism mm-hmm. and was telling this analogy of how the 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 master is like they've climbed this cliff face and they have been at the top and the the relationship with the disciples or the people who are learning under that master is like the master is telling them where to how to climb the cliff and where to put the handholds right and i and that was just the analogy in class but i went up to the professor afterwards and i got in this argument with him so weird i was like picking fights with him and mm-hmm. stuff about how i was like well i started by asking like well you can find your way on your own right you don't need a master and he was like no you and and he's talking to me i was talking about life and you know like now na- and i realize now like navigating your trauma and trying to find who you are and you know how to heal yourself but the- and he was talking about oh within the lineage of this religion that i'm talking about right so right. we were talking about two different things but i was like arguing with him like no you can find your own way you can find your own way you know it's hyper independence and then yeah <laughs> just taking off into the mountains afterwards and like writing down the argument and being like oh my god like, <laughs> that's kind of just how i was it's like i feel like it's truly like college freshman energy to to, oh, yeah. to just go to class and then like have an argument with someone who has a phd in the subject who's like guys just do the homework just <laughs> do just, the just homework take down. the test move on like exactly <laughs> it's like the the like i feel like movies and like stories are always like oh this kid showed up to college and he fought the professor and he won the argument everyone respected him for it or something and it's like no 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 this is like an assembly line you just go through follow directions yeah that does not happen <laughs> so you're you're writing poetry a little bit you're doing a lot of journaling at this time yeah very like wandering kind of finding yourself energy when do you what what happens next so you you left sea boulder after our first year yes i could not afford to be there i don't even know how i did one year um <laughs> 
But then I found my way to Durango, Colorado, which mm-hmm. is in the southwest corner of the square of Colorado. Yeah. And uh, I did four years there at Fort Lewis College. I got, I studied fine art. Nice. So what, what was, I'm, I've, I've always been curious about this because I feel like this is like the period where we stopped being roommates mm-hmm. and I don't see you for like a year or something or a yes. while. Yes. So what was your like writing and like art like into this period? Still journaling and still handing them off to anyone I was meeting mm-hmm. and, and just like this, understand me, understand me, understand me. Um, and then in 2014, I experienced a psychotic break mm-hmm. and that's when I didn't really see anybody for a while. Um, that was oh. really intense. Gotcha. So, so you weren't seeing, were, were you writing at that time during your like? Because that was a while. That was like, you said like it was like six months or something, right? Yeah, I don't, I've never really known the period which I was clinically psychotic. Mm -hmm. But the experience itself lead up until I felt like, okay, I got this was about two years. Oh, wow. Like it was a very, it was, it was a lot. Mm -hmm. And I was writing during some parts of it. And then I had a big phase of making music. I was mm. making beats on Ableton and in these whole albums of just sound, I guess. Sidebar for the listeners, Campbell did the theme song and the outro. Ooh, they're, yeah. they're the same song, but different parts of the same song. <laughs> yeah, that I made when I was psychotic. Oh, really? Yeah, and they were describing them, the like if you listen to the whole thing, it's the emotions I went through on a, on a daily basis. Whoa. Like manic and then horrible and then manic again and then okay and then horrible man like just uh, just very back and forth yeah pretty bad wow so when do you get back into writing so when does your kind of music phase end and you're like ready to get back to writing a lot um writing did not re-enter my life as a uh well throughout this period i journaled but then the journaling changed from these like art books to just notebooks that was filling with words it right the my relationship to writing them changed and then my like a lot of people that i went to school with about the beginning of our senior year we realized that we did not want a a a career in art there's a lot of people that i went to school with who had this sudden change or disillusion or realization i i initially began studying art because i wanted to be the the american miyazaki i okay. i believed that i had that in me and then my the fort lewis did not offer animation so i was like well i'll do illustration and i'll make comics i'll make these weird indie comics it'll be awesome but then and like trying to draw these comics on my own i was like it's really hard to draw a chair <laughs> or, you know, like, to, yeah. to draw the setting behind a character. I drew lots of characters. Um, and still very good. I draw emotions. I don't draw things. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like, I can draw a character very well, specifically faces, but then, um, and it's in a cartoon style, but then drawing everything else mm-hmm. was, uh, I just, it was so difficult. And it's like, of course, anything is difficult when you're starting something new. Right. 
but I realized I do not want to invest all that this really takes to get good at it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is not what I'm trying to do. And then I was, and so that was like my junior year. And then I was just coasting. And then my senior year, I, uh, for our thesis project and senior seminar, I did my first collection of short stories. Mm-hmm. And how I got away with it is I made it an art book. And I bound it and I made, I made this artifact mm. and that's how I got around. But it, but the focus was the writing was the right. short, short stories in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that was the beginning of writing fiction, re-entering my life since childhood. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was that one called again? Cause you sent me a copy of it. It was called Daryl Soda. Daryl Soda. That's yes. right. Okay. Yeah, and Daryl is a small penguin that I have drawn since I was 14. It was the first thing I ever drew. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Tell me the the Daryl origin story. It's kind of fun. I it was at it was at our high school. Mm-hmm. I was I was 14. I was a, I was a fresh little emo kid with black hair, lip piercing, tight pants, <laughs> band shirt, running around. And I was running around with my friend Kelsey. We were just like two goofballs frolicking in a field and there was a little um i don't know what it really came from but it's a little plush penguin head Mm -hmm. and i found it in the grass and just as a joke i turned to kelsey and i was like this is daryl this is my new god Mm -hmm. and then and then i drew him once and just everything clicked for me and then that's when i started drawing and i was i was like drawing all these cartoons and that was in high school which led to you know, the discovery of Miyazaki and being like, oh yeah, my God, yeah. I'm going to do that. And then, yeah. But he's like, a, he's a reoccurring, not character so much as like a, like he's like a visual logo for the things you create in a way. Yeah. 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 And so, and, and for a while he was very much like a, a deity in my life. I don't know how really, I've never really known how to describe it, but he was the, um, metaphorical ideal that i tried to strive for what i thought was always interesting is there was never uh anything about daryl it was just like an imagery that everything existed parallel to you never wrote a character or a story about him it was just yeah there was just the name and the penguin yeah because there is no daryl is it's like a it's like a energy i guess <laughs> yeah and so in in boulder i got i had a really great phase of like street art i guess the best this was so fun where i went around with a pencil and drew daryl just a little round penguin head with a little two button eyes and then i draw it on the walls of like every single building and i realize now that's like vandalism there are probably some facility managers who are really angry with me. yeah <laughs> but i would draw daryl and then underneath it i would draw like daryl solves qu- quadratic equations or i just yeah. write something like that i remember one was like daryl daryl loves tokyo joe's remember that <laughs> <laughs> tokyo joe's <laughs> that's funny yeah so i would just draw it everywhere and then i had a backpack that i had painted daryl on mm-hmm. and that was like my school backpack and i remember people starting to recognize that yeah. and there was the there was like a it was in the facebook days and there was like the, the cu boulder confessions yeah the confessions yeah. page and then people started posting confessions about like whoever's drawing this little penguin i love it mm-hmm. and it just so i started drawing it more and 
Like Daryl's just everywhere. And I, that was like the height of it for me. And you saw it somewhere outside of campus one time. Yeah, in town that someone had drawn it on the side of like one of those uh, like telephone boxes or something. Oh, that's crazy. And I had a couple friends who went to different parts of the country and drew Daryl. And I just had this whole vision of like Daryl Empire or mm. just, you know, just as far as street art, just Daryl everywhere. Right. I was just like, oh my, I was so into it. Yeah. And that was like a big thing. And like when you left our, and then our, my sophomore year there, people asked me if it was me. I was like, no, it was, yeah. you were very close, but it was not me. Close. <laughs> yeah. I remember someone on the bus once seeing my backpack with Daryl paint on it and, and being like, oh my god are you are you the guy are you the one drawing those and i yeah. was like yeah and it was before anything and i was like how do you oh you've seen one and they were like oh my god they were really like you were putting easter eggs down on that campus like it was yeah. like and what cracked me up is the one time i went with you to do it you were doing it in mechanical pencil on the yeah, wall yeah i would do it on pencil because i wasn't trying to like permanently like I, I had some level of understanding of like eh, that this is vandalism. So I was right. like, well, if I do it in pencil, then they can just erase it and it's they won't be pissed. Right, right. Yeah, it's just an easy clean. Yeah, I haven't written in pencil since I was like fourteen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because it's not permanent enough in yeah. my mind. Yeah, I write with pen even mm-hmm. still today. But that was in in my little pocketbooks I carried around. I I wrote in pencil, mm. and so it was just whatever pencil I had on me. That's why I was drawing these. Mm-hmm. I forget what made me do it the first time but yeah I, and that was the height of daryl and there was yeah. there's the energy behind it and i really i really enjoyed that it was it was a lot of fun it mm-hmm. was very cool and uh now now backing up a few steps for where we were so you write daryl soda which is yes. the first one and yeah. i when and, i got this in the mail okay. i was like what i was like what is this <laughs> i was like very confused and like i think you included some like weird like newspaper clippings or something in it or like yeah. some magazine clippings yeah i always try to send something else weird with my books when i mail them to yeah people. actually hang on i'm gonna pause the recording yes okay we're back i just had to oh. unbox um because campbell sends me all of his writing and I have every single one of these he's ever sent me. <laughs> yeah, Max, Maxim, and my friend Colin are the only people to read every single thing that I've written. And, and there's Daryl Soda. He's holding it. Daryl Soda. Written by some kid named Campbell. And then you put, you put a note in here. Oh, yeah. You witnessed the unveiling, and now it's smooth sailing until I get caught again drawing on walls. <laughs> <laughs> you the crazy luck, good luck in big boy land, Campbell. Oh, and, oh, and you have a Daryl in here that says, Daryl ate a phoenix once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so yeah, that was the first one. How did it feel to get back to writing short stories? Um, it was uh, really, really nice, because... I don't I don't remember the real origins of me starting to write. Here I'm gonna grab this. Okay. Yeah, this is a... because these are all pretty bad. Um <laughs> there there's redeeming qualities in the concepts, but the it they're pretty bad. Oh, uh, I had a roommate, Allie, and I wrote down just her punny business names. It's just a bunch of random stuff in this yeah. one. 
but like the the outside so it's a it's a little book like a lot of people would call it like a zine kind of format you know just like folded up paper stapled together and the outside is a bunch of drawings of the daryl penguin head but yeah so you, you made that how did it get received as a project um my professor was very nice and accepted it as an appropriate thesis project nice <laughs> um i and so i just printed out a bunch of them in a booklet format and mailed them out but i still have the one that was that i made and bound and mm. stuff for the project i still have that somewhere the original so yeah. when you made that were you then like this is my format that i want to make a bunch of stuff in yeah it really um Looking back, I realized that it connected me to that same feeling of being in kindergarten and they hand me this Pokey Dawn, the first book, seven. <laughs> and I'm just like holding it like, wow, this is crazy. I just told this story and I'm holding it right. It mm-hmm. made me feel like a real author, like the books that I was reading as a kid. So it connected me to that. So I've really enjoyed um, just sending out my stories there's something very disappointing to me when i would send out my stories in an email or as a pdf there's just there's a difference between reading something on a screen and then holding something yeah and i feel like when you read a story in like pdf format you're like oh it's just a times new roman document of words and like when you see these you can tell the individual attention you paid to like layout and like the cover and like how things are organized it's very cool. Yeah, I try to format them as if they were a book you would buy mm-hmm. at a store. Yeah, yeah. With a dedication mm-hmm. and a little quote at the beginning and about the author section and everything. Yeah. So what was the what was the next one you wrote after this? Because you graduate college. I think I visit you right before you graduate in like 2017 yes you did yeah um i wrote a few more while i was still in school there was a poetry collection called cages that i wrote okay i don't have that one um yeah it's pretty bad it's pretty bad Um, (laughs) and it was just me free associating basically okay um and i would do it every day and just write these poems and it was the big in the beginning of my the first half of this stack that you have on the table right now is very much in the same vein of understand me understand me understand me like yeah. it has this it had the same energy to me as handing someone one of my journals right right i think very much yeah cuz there's a couple of these that are that sometimes tell stories of people that are not you but there's a mm-hmm. lot that are like very much like very personal it like kind of combines the journal and the fiction yeah they're like they're coded autobiography where it's like fiction it's like emotionally true but physically fictional Mm. so what was the the next one you you wrote you because you you graduate college and you you write cages was there another one you wrote before you graduated um, I don't think so. But then the the summer after I graduated from college, I went to Denmark. I have I have family over there, and mm-hmm. I did this big trip where I, um, I knew someone who had stayed at an anarchist collective there, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Well, I have this six week trip. I'm going to volunteer." It was like a work trade type of thing. Yeah. So I went to this anarchist collective for the summer, splitting my time between my Danish family and the countryside. And then this, uh, these like city pirates in Copenhagen, yeah. and that was called Floating City. Was the collective? Mm-hmm. I lived on a handmade boat. 
Um, they were really into upcycling. Um, they they were connected to a recycling yard, and the collective was basically um, a bunch of squatters who made stuff out of trash. Right. And, uh, I just we ate a hundred percent of our food out of the dumpsters, which was really good quality stuff. The dumpsters in Europe are different, or certain parts of Europe are mm-hmm. different than how. You know, in the United States, we just throw everything in one bin, bin, and but they have them a bread bin, a produce, a meat, uh, plastics. They really in De- in Denmark and Copenhagen, they separate everything out, so it was very um, easy to just go get like perfectly good food. Mm-hmm. And it was just basically like a scavenger pirate energy. Yeah, um, getting all their clothes out of free situations like that um and just making something while i was there there was a guy who's making a bicycle but the tires were um like mannequin arms oh whoa <laughs> and, and, and he's trying to, and i didn't see him get it working but he's mm. working on it the whole time there's a bunch of workshops within the warehouse that has the collective and um i just had the most wild time there's a level of um cost playing homelessness mm-hmm. that was involved in it for me that i wasn't yeah that I wasn't too aware of at the time mm-hmm. um that they accepted volunteers and there was a great number of people involved in the collective or sister collectives that were um were truly living that lifestyle in a way that i as a as a tourist basically was not really right. involved with the totality mm-hmm. of it but i got this look at it and just the way their relationship to waste and um the people i was meeting and the ideologies that i was exposed to there's a lot of um like black block folks in there during the uh during that period in 2017 there was a lot of protests in going on in europe and a bunch of people at one point went to um berlin or hamburg for a protest and they were talking to me like about the the violence of a sitting car and how mm-hmm. you know describing to me how property damage is protest you know getting that was mm-hmm. my first exposure to a lot of these ideas and then i wrote a story while i was there i wrote it in the last 20 minutes there or something like that really I just like i it was just like this outpouring and mm-hmm. so that book became love lost yeah so love lost i know that's like and that was really the first one in my mind it's like yeah i wrote some poetry and daryl mm-hmm. soda in college but then love lost was the first one that i wrote that was really i was like wow um i love this yeah and you distributed love lost to a lot of people and yeah. read you've read a lot of pieces of it yes. at like various like open mics or readings or whatever yeah yeah so that's that's awesome because i think this one i remember because love lost if i'm not mistaken is written in the form of an of answering machine yeah or sorry uh voicemails yeah it's a series of voicemails that the narrator is leaving like a mysterious person and narrating his experience. And it's so wild because this is also falls in the vein. This story falls in the vein of please understand me, please understand me because the, the first, the first half of it is this voicemail story. And then the second half is just a bunch of poems that I wrote Mm -hmm. about floating city and the people I was meeting there. And so the context is kind of missing, but the, 
the narrator in the first part is going has traveled to this city of Copenhagen and staying with the floating city collective, right. but then every day is going to this place called a memory center, mm-hmm. which is like going into a uh like a floating, like a sensory deprivation chamber, one of those floating chambers. Yeah, yeah. And then having certain things hooked up to him, and it's very like sci-fi, and that he he relives memories, and it's mm-hmm. very much like this, how he's like getting to re-narrate his, um, his trauma, basically. And mm. because I was in therapy at the time, and that was the metaphor for therapy that I was experiencing, and so I wanted to write about that, and um, so that's, I don't know, that was in the vein of Please Understand Me, is mm-hmm. part of the motivation for that. Yeah. I feel like there's definitely, like, there's a little bit of the Please Understand Me, but when I read it, yeah. I was like, this is also just, like, a great kind of adventure story. Yeah, and people really liked it. I had a friend in Durango, Jeff, who had read it all the time, and he was a nanny for these two kids and like read it to them all the time. Mm-hmm. And it was he was the first person that I like, I was friends with, but didn't know super well. Who's like, oh my god, this is amazing, you know? And I was those is these little validations that keep you going mm-hmm. in any artistic pursuit. Totally. And this is also one that you gave to the girl in the library. Is this that that novel? Mm. We'll get to that story when we get there. Yeah, but no, it wasn't that one. It wasn't that one? Okay. So you do Love Lost, and then you, I, I think, what was the next one? It was, uh, was it the Daryl Gang? Yeah, or... the next one was the Daryl Gang. Yeah. Cause, okay, because that one, you visited me back in Boulder. Yeah, for a week. For a yeah, week. You stayed week. with me on my couch. What happened to that one? I just, I just had it's, it. It was near the top. Oh, there it is. Yeah. So you visited me for like a week, and, and I remember... then just got this whole story as a download while I was while I was visiting you, and I was like, "Oh my god, I have to write it," and then wrote it over the next three months or something. Yeah, like I remember it was a really quick turnaround, but basically, yeah. like the Daryl Gang is like the nostalgia of you living at CU Boulder, but with kind of like some like made up characters, essentially, right? Yeah. yeah. So like i i gave I gave this one to my mom, and and it's about a a a boy who was had this friend group in Boulder and they were situated around him going around and drawing Daryl on the walls. Mm-hmm. And then, and it was these three friends and they all had nicknames, but then there's some incident that scattered them. There's yeah. a night that something horrible happened and they all scattered. And the story is the narrator coming back to Boulder four years later to, um, reconnect with these people and try to piece together mm-hmm. like this was the be- best time in my life with these friends why did we all go our separate ways and so each chapter is it's like three sections with mm-hmm. him visiting these three friends mm-hmm. and i gave it to my mom and i was like so who's your favorite character you know thinking she's gonna pick and she goes you <laughs> and i was like oh fuck you know that, that's when i was really like okay i think i'm like i i need to if i'm gonna write fiction i should write fiction if i'm gonna write memoir i should write memoir i'm just like in between thing that yeah it was bothering me how um how wrapped up i was in it i think yeah we talked about this as well through like a couple of these where i was like it's better that i'm reading this and i know you yeah yeah without the context of knowing me for these early ones i mean all these 
are bad to me now. Whoa. They're not bad. Like, it's like, oh, I wrote this. <laughs> but now it's like, oh, these are not great. So what was the next one that you wrote? Was it Obuo? Or... Um, yeah, it must have been... Uh, it must have been Obuo. There's all one as well, which... We will not speak will not talk one. about it. That's okay. That, that one was... <laughs> I'll say it. That one was bad. <laughs> yeah, yes, that was objectively very bad. And there's Obuo, Trust. Yeah, Trust. Um, here, let me see the stack. There and you go. So some of them are here. Thank you for... Obuo is a bunch of poetry about memory. That one was really cool because I liked how surreal it yeah, was. I like that one. Oh, yeah, and there's that. Um, and then... Uh, so that was summer 2017 that I wrote Love Lost on this trip. I really like just going on trips during this time. And then uh, the next summer in 2018, I got a job at a summer camp in Southern California, a place called Idlewild Arts. And it's like an arts summer camp for high schoolers. And I got a job doing technical theater there. After college, I got into, um, I was a janitor at an arts center. And then I eventually transitioned over to doing um running the theater events there mm, and, and that's it, right it was just crazy to me that i was like oh i was doing technical theater which i'd never mm-hmm. been interested in or knew anything about but so much from my art education transferred over so easily that yeah it was just so easy to do it and i loved just seeing all the different events that came through it's just people would rent the space and like put on a show or an event or there's a lot of like film festivals there like weird ones like mountain biking hunting fishing <laughs> like just all this random durango stuff and uh my boss there had graduated high school from this place that ran this summer camp so mm-hmm. i went there for the summer and i wrote me and the mayfly this is like your early magnum opus type yeah deal. that was the one where i was like wow i really think i'm getting i'm serious about this right like, i this is the one that did it for me mm-hmm. as far as my internal identity mm-hmm. so so the you you work at this art center in durango yes and i remember the the progression of what kind of how me and the mayfly happens is mm-hmm. durango catches on fire as you're about to leave yeah the day i leave the day you leave so it's on fire then you go to this arts art school where you start doing your thing for the summer and then in like the last few weeks that place also catches on fire yeah um yeah the day that i left durango to go to the airport Mm -hmm. um a major forest fire broke out across from across the just across the highway from where i was living Mm -hmm. and then and that was crazy to just be flying away and being like oh my god and you know people some people are evacuating the whole valley is filling with smoke people wearing masks like that was crazy and then i'm in southern california it's it's a high desert and then at the end of that summer there's a fire where uh a a guy drove up the mountain and threw eight road flares out of his window as he was driving and started mm-hmm. this major fire because he was trying to intimidate a girl who had broken up with him who lived in Idlewild. Oh my god! So just like the the horrible classic story of mm-hmm. of that that seems to repeat too much. Classic road road flares and romance hand in hand. <laughs> yeah. So and the evacuation was really traumatic for me and the mm-hmm. other people who 
um, experienced it. There was someone who returned this summer to 2021 mm-hmm. for the first time since the fire and was very much like, the only reason I'm returning is to face this. Whoa. And it was really like, it, it was really traumatic. I went through, you know, I talked about it in therapy for a year afterwards, but me and the Mayfly came out of that. And fire is very much mm-hmm. a, a force within this story. Yeah. So when what what was the process like of like writing this? Um, I I would I would write. It's told in in these. Each page has either a poem or a little paragraph or something like that. It's told in a poetry prose. And I recently this year I've rewritten it. Oh really? Um, yeah. I meant to finish it before I visited you. Yeah. But it's still just there's a lot of work that it needs. Um. And so every day, starting with a, um, I was sitting in the theater booth in the big theater of Bowman at the school, and it's it's during the Native Arts Week, and there's a, a throat singers performing on the stage, and I'm controlling the lights and kind of I don't know anything about their performance, and I'm trying to create a an experience that accents what they're doing as it's happening. Mm-hmm. Super fun. And somewhere in the booth, there's just this notepad up there. And I wrote down the first lines, um, what, like while this was going on, mm-hmm. I, I wrote Obuo also while doing theater tech for the vagina monologues at the Durango Arts Center. Okay. I'm like, while the performance was going on, I, it was, I had, and I, I, I did not miss a cue. Everything went great. Whoa. But I was really, um, it was just a strange phase of doing that. Um, you want me to read the line? Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't sure which blurb you're referencing. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's placed later in the story, but it's, uh, I'm from the top of the world, she said, eyes reflecting the clear night sky, so close we could almost taste the dark matter. From there, I see more stars than I see land. And when I stand on the shore, I can see all the way down the world. Mm. And that's what I wrote in the booth in the middle of this performance. I was really into like writing while I was doing something else. Mm-hmm. That was kind of like the phase that I was in at the time. Mm-hmm. And that started with Obuo. And um, I, uh, that's how I wrote Me and the Mayfly was over the course of the summer. And what's really what's really weird is there's a character in this story called Todd Mm -hmm. and Todd is kind of like the, the character who, where the two main characters are, are self-reflecting and they're looking at themselves and they're Mm -hmm. growing and healing. And Todd is the antagonistic force who refuses to self-reflect and in Mm -hmm. fact implodes, which I think is uh, an issue with men. Mm-hmm. today and especially like and it's so weird that i knew todd was going to start a forest fire i knew that before this guy drove up the mountain and threw road flares out the window and it's like i narrate that guy's experience like who the who the fuck does that well so you you start working on this before the, the forest fire yeah it was some, it was like so a you, summer long project. so you you like knew like this guy's gonna start a forest fire yeah. at the end of this book and then it and happens then I, in real life yeah, and then i experienced an actual forest fire it and it it felt like there was there was a moment where i was like did i cause this whoa you know and where i felt because i had been running from a fire in many ways my life had just fallen apart like 
I came to Idlewild that summer to flee the, the decimation of uh, yeah. that's traumatic, but like, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's emotionally my experience mm-hmm. at the time was that I was fleeing my own life burning down. And it was so weird that, you know, I'm having this emotional experience, but parallel, there's this physical metaphor of the forest fire that broke out mm-hmm. right across the highway from where I had been living. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, so that the connection, the synchronicity of that was following me throughout the whole summer. And then the Cranston fire happened with the road flares. And I was like, I caused this somehow. Yeah. Not, not that me, not that I had superpowers or something like I wasn't mm-hmm. psychotic anymore. I didn't have delusions like that. But it was very much like um, I felt not so much I caused this, but like where else would I be? Mm-hmm. like this this place called me just as much as i called to it and it mm-hmm. makes sense this is the only place that i would be right is where this fire is happening so parallel to my emotional narrative mm-hmm. but then also to this story i was writing it was so weird because the guy who with the road flares out the window same exact energy as todd in this story mm-hmm. and it, it was just it was weird that was weird that's wild because i i I always thought that in the story, you wrote the story after the fire actually happened. So, I, yeah, I, no, it was, it was like I knew the fire was going to happen, but in a, in a, in a writer way, it was really nice to have experienced an evacuation because then my, <laughs> my, my narrative of it was more accurate. Right. I was sitting on Google being like, what's it like to be in a fire? You know, I had such a different view. The story would have been different if there hadn't been a fire. I still, mm-hmm. I still wish there had not been a fire. Yeah. But for the experience, uh, yeah, it worked. That's wild. Also, like the fact that like the first one in Durango, you pretty much just like <clears throat> you were gone right away as yeah. it happened. And then this one, it was like, no, 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 you're gonna, you're gonna live through this one. You're gonna see yeah. it through. Yeah, from start to finish, getting two hundred terrified children off of campus in 20 minutes the fire was just it was far away and then all of a sudden it was right there it was it was horrifying yeah i remember i remember you telling me that that, (laughs) because once you i think you you told me about this fire stuff like right after yeah i I stayed with you when i got back to denver Mm. i stayed with you in boulder at the apartment you were living yeah yeah and, and i was I was real messed up and not in a mm-hmm. good place. It was, ugh, yeah. And then, you know, made it back to Durango and started to, yeah, think about that. Mm-hmm. And that, edit this and then send it out to everybody. And this one, so me and the Mayfly, you sent this to, like, a lot of people, too. This was yeah. some you, like, really were pushing out there. Yeah, this is the first one I posted on Instagram as my way to you know, reach out to people. It was just mm-hmm. like, hey, if you want one, I'll send one to you. Mm-hmm. Like, I've always just been said, just send me shipping, mm-hmm. like cover the shipping, and I'll just send you a book. Yeah. Um, and this one uh, flopped. No one... Really? Yeah, no one really... People said nice things and people like specific sentences and stuff, but the story, the feedback that I got was, I don't understand what this is about. Because mm-hmm. it's told from the inner experience of there's no outer this happened and then this happened which made me think right it was literally just i thought this and then this and i really i really believed at the time that people would just be able to pick up on everything so my rewrite 
has included the mm. context of everything. And I think that'll... It's definitely like some in your writing. It's very much like dream state. Yeah, there's feel every it. five pages or something, there's a dream mm-hmm. that is very much central to the narrative. Mm-hmm. Damn, I, I didn't realize this one was... Because uh, basically you're telling me that this one was not received as well as Love Lost was. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. not as well. Which Which one was the one you gave to that girl in the library when you were printing it? Me and the Mayfly. Oh, was this one? Yeah, okay. So, yeah. so tell the listeners what happened here. <laughs> so there was the the college library that I went, the college that I went to. I would go to the library, print these out on their printer, use their big stapler to staple them together. And then um, like that was the process of how I'd print these. And, you know, so every day that I went up there to print, I would have to talk to one of the student workers at this place. And there was this girl... Um, who worked there and she was there a lot of the time that I went to print them out. And so finally one day she was like, what do you, after the third or fourth round of printing out me and the Mayfly, she came and was like, what are you printing? Like, it looks weird. And I was like, Oh, I make these books. Do you want one? And I handed it to her and I was just like, Oh, cool. You know, I got another person to read it. And then, um, the next time, and it was a couple months, mm-hmm. it was until I wrote the next book of short stories that yeah. was like, that I went up and I walked in or no, I walked in and I saw her and I was just like, Hey, whatever going. And she turned so red when she saw me (laughs) that I was like, it, it like I've, it, it made such an impact on me. And so I kind of talked to her later and she was like, me and my roommates read that story together. And she just kind of seemed like nervous to talk to me or something. And that was such an amazing feeling mm-hmm. of being like wow someone really liked this to the point where they're nervous to talk to yeah. me and that was oh that was just so cool that that's like amazing when you told me that i was like dude you you have like at least one fan yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's sick <laughs> yeah that's really cool and, and i think like it's that's like such a that's just so funny <laughs> i don't yeah. know i love that story yeah, it, was, it was cute <laughs> she's just a little kid yeah <laughs> so after me and the mayfly it was I feel like you spent a lot of time on this one and it was a while before you wrote the whatever came next, right? Yeah, it was probably a few months. I wrote Trust, which is just a bunch of little short stories. They're mm-hmm. all like a page long. I was working at uh I was working at the Arts Center again, but mm-hmm. I instead of being the technical director in the theater, I was the admin assistant. I had a desk and an office. I was like is my first salary job mm-hmm. and I made like I think I think I made like twelve dollars an hour, really. Mm. But th- I was like, "Wow, salary! Yeah, I, I really made it. I'm an adult now." And uh, and then classic Campbell at the time. What during my work days, every single day for a period, I would write one story, and it would be one Microsoft Word page long. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote a bunch of those staple them send them out and that's trust and Mm. there's a couple in there that i will read at uh reading sometimes i'm not so connected to them now but Mm -hmm. um yeah i like that one and then you have what there's uh three more after that there's empathy's a snitch yeah jesus was a punk and then channel surfing yeah and and welcome to the dawn is in there too oh yeah it's somewhere in here i feel like you definitely sent it to me yeah you i saw it in there um empathy is a snitch was five short stories about a specific character and they're just like 
following is like a character study. There's one that I loosely based off of my grandmother and then um and and that was more magical realism basically mm-hmm. where it's like, well, I like my stories to exist in a a world that we know but have elements that have emotional truth but are not real. So like me and the Mayfly, the Mayfly half of it is there's a the character Rain is she something called a forever born where they die at the end of each day and mm-hmm. are reborn the next day as like a new being. But they like forever born remember they have like a, like how you remember a dream when you wake up. Yeah, That's how yeah. they remember their past lives. But it's like she lives the entirety of her life every single day. Not like born as a baby and dies in, as an old person. Like she ages the same way that we do but it's like every single day she's rediscovering everything Mm -hmm. and um that makes her sound like a manic pixie dream girl but she's not Mm -hmm. um she's she's extremely like i don't know but it's uh that's the type of elements that i include in in Mm. stuff and so uh empathy's a snitch is kind of has that going throughout it too, mm-hmm. or just, you know just that it's it's in our world but it's not i don't know yeah yeah and then so you wrote empathy the snitch and then jesus was a punk was like the next big one yeah you wrote. and i wrote more short stories in between that mm-hmm. and, but then yeah jesus was a punk was the net it was the first memoir piece i've written and it was from a 2019 trip to denmark Mm-hmm. Um, splitting my time between my fundamentalist Christian family and the the boat pirates. Who yeah, had, and the collective had changed in the two years in between my visits, mm-hmm. and so, um, and it's it's I don't know, but people really liked Jesus was a punk. Mm-hmm. Um, I just kind of journaled everything while I was there at the end of every day or whenever, and then. When I got back, I started posting pictures from my trip, and mm-hmm. I would put a little caption, a snippet from my journal. Yeah. And then, like, a bunch of people really liked it and were commenting and sending me DMs and just talking about it. And so I slowly started to put together this story and turn it into some kind of narrative. And uh, that's what Jesus was a punk turned mm-hmm. into, was just these two worlds of my Christian family trying to convince me to become a Christian and and us like arguing. I have like religious trauma, obviously. Mm. And then, (laughs) um, and, and some real issues with people and a family. And so that's what, and then also just hanging out with the, my, the punk kids who were like alcoholics and not really, I don't know. They're they're awesome, but just not really Mm -hmm. directioned in life. They don't know where they're going. And so kind of thinking about the context of where I was at at the time. And then, yeah, that's what that one is. And that was the first first one you did where it was like two full like books. Yeah, because it it wouldn't staple if I did it as one book. It was too big. (laughs) So I had to do it in two parts. Oh. That's that's the reason for the two books, yeah. One thing I thought was fun about that one is the contrast between that and Love Lost. It's like these two different stories of you going to Denmark 
going to the same place and having completely different experiences, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, a, I'm a different person in between mm-hmm. those. A lot of development has happened and the, the physical world has changed so much. Like the collective no longer had the boats that they used to. They were not in Copenhagen anymore. They were in a small town. It was, it was really different. Mm-hmm. So, and then the final one you wrote, you just, I don't. I can't remember when you got it to me, but it was recently. Yeah, it was probably like January. Yeah, something like that. But it was uh, channel surfing, which is just like like five, like three or four short stories that I wrote when I was living in Boulder. Mm. So when I wrote when I was oh, 19, that's right, yeah, and that I kind of just fixed them up and sent them out just as just because I felt like I hadn't put anything out for a long time. Mm-hmm. So how how was that revisiting writing from? at uh age 27 and going back to writing from when you were like 18 or 19 um it was really adorable um (laughs) campbell back then had such an idealized romantic glowing nostalgic view of things Mm -hmm. and i thought that was there's there's a story in there of one time i went to a game night at your house yeah your neighbor came over and was like we locked ourselves out of our house we need someone to break in essentially yeah and and i was like (laughs) i'll do it and then i wrote and i wrote this weird weird narrative based on that that was so hard to fix up like it was it was a mess when i returned to it what what i love about that one and the daryl gang is like i i feel like you definitely have the rose colored glasses for that time of our lives yeah yeah. but like when i read it i'm like oh it was a nice time wasn't it i was really into like the nostalgia of the present i'd say yeah of just being like wow this is life right now i was kind of douchey about it in moments but i was yeah so it's like the nostalgia in the moment rather than looking back on it Mm -hmm. i don't know sometimes i i feel like that way like here yeah like after i have like a really good set like i'll i'll leave and just be like oh it's nice out i just got a bunch of laughs they love my new material i'm feeling good i can do this and then a hundred percent of the time i go home and i listen to new york state of mind by jay-z and alicia keys on the train (laughs) that's a whole mood right there it's a whole mood that tells me that you're living in a way which is meaningful to you yeah so that's what connects us to just feeling nostalgic for the moment we're Mm -hmm. already experiencing because we realize how special it is and how this is going this isn't forever this feeling is right now right when we're living in a way when we're not connected to that meaning i i didn't feel like i was i don't i don't feel like i existed until 2018 i don't think i felt like a present person until i started doing comedy everything before that was like kind of meandering like developing as like a person in a vague mm-hmm. sense then when i entered this universe it was like things started becoming more concrete about like who i am what i bring to the table where i should be like all this stuff what was it about that that made that transition for you was it that you were being challenged i think part of it was the challenge but i think it was doing something that i had thought about for a long time and finally like set out to do it yeah and like like you're like this is it kind yeah. of like this is the test of self almost like can i do it right and it's like for me it's like i have all these like smaller hobbies and interests which i like but like at the end of the day i'm not into skiing as people who want to like be ski bums and live yeah. the life 
I'm not as into rock climbing as someone who wants to plan like rock climbing trips like every weekend and stuff. Yeah. Like I'm not like I love video games. I love some like board gaming and stuff. I'm not spending all my time doing that. Mm-hmm. And it's like it just became this thing where it's like, oh, like, you know, all the things I do are like little pieces of who I am. But like, what is the big piece? What is the thing that I will let kill me? And it's like, Mm. then when I started doing comedy, it was like, oh, this is it. And it's not like, I don't know if the end game for me is necessarily like, like stand up, stand up comedy, like in a very pure sense, (laughs) but the universe of like comedy and creation is like that I'm in now feels right it feels like the the correct big picture thing for me that's really beautiful the whole meaning of i'm I'm still clipped on to the like test of self that's like is this the the big thing that i'm willing to die for like yeah and i, I feel like when we were younger like a lot of people looked at me and would be like well you've got it figured out you know exactly what you wanted to do and in my mind what i wanted to do was achieve financial stability by going to school for something i'm interested engineering and achieving that and then once i started doing comedy i was like oh engineering isn't actually what i define myself through Mm -hmm. it's just an ends to a means of financial stability stability and then after that that's when like it's like the the hierarchy of needs type of thing, you know? And like what what ends up being the way to find myself is my self-expression, which comes through in all these other forms. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That's awesome. And for like you, I felt like it was it was always going to be like writing of some type or something like that. Like I remember for a while you're like mm-hmm. I can't, I don't know what I want to do. I kind of want to be like a counselor, kind of want to be an artist, kind of do some music. And it was always like, you always had like little pieces of things going on. Yeah. And then I think like in the last two years, that's when it kind of has like, it's become more of a real picture of the direction and space that you're in. Yeah. Your early 20s, I think are really about identity formation and yeah. seeking like, who am I? What are my values? What do I want to do? what is this? How do I fit into this? Mm -hmm. And then I did a lot of really extreme exploration as far as that goes. And then I, I feel like I really have settled into like, well, I understand myself now. I understand my limits. I know what I want. Mm -hmm. And it's more, now I'm more lifestyle focused than I am goal focused Mm. that um, being present and is is more important to me now i agree with that i think once i got here i i I will say i don't think i've set a goal for myself in like a year and a half maybe a year Hmm. because all the things i'm doing now all my projects i've planted seeds and i'm watering them every week exactly and and it's just like what maintains the watering is a reasonable lifestyle and like maintaining the watering of the seeds and eventually yeah. it'll be something, but I'm not going to be like laser focused on one thing I'm doing and being like, come on, go grow another inch, grow another inch. Yeah. You know, it's like the impatience of youth, of right. just wanting, wanting it now and wanting it fully and wanting mm-hmm. it complete. And then I like, I don't really seek for identity in the same ways. Now mm-hmm. I think I just do what I do and it continues 
to grow every single day, writing mm -hmm. every single day. That's what I got out of quarantine was just a writing practice and doing it every single day and being like, well, one day yeah. I'll have a book. <laughs> <laughs> and now you have um, several of them. <laughs> several, yeah. Yeah. And those are all real good. All the books that we've talked about today, those are the identity formation ones. Mm -hmm. And I have not put anything out that I'm from where I'm at now, if mm -hmm. that makes any sense. Yeah. Like, those are all really beautiful. And it's like, yeah, Campbell's so cute. But now it's like, I I can do so much better than that. Mm -hmm. I think that's like key to it's kind of funny, especially like growing up. And, like, for the last, like, what? This has got to be, like, four years yeah. of work. And just in that time, like, these four or five years, and, like, reading all of them and, like, moving on and, like, looking back and being, like, oh, there's all this development that is clearly happening. Like, you can definitely see, yeah. a, a, like, maturing through these. Yeah. And I just love those artifacts of growth that mm -hmm. you can see. You know, we take pictures so much in our lives, and I feel like that's one thing. But I've always created things, and that's been my my benchmarks, like against the the door frame with the little right. ticks of yeah. like how <laughs> much you're growing. It's like mm -hmm. that's what the things I make are. Yeah, my music when I because I don't make I don't make music in the same way anymore. Mm -hmm. And going back, I listen to those things sometimes, and it's like this reclamation of self. It's so sweet and connects me to who i am i think it's so important to be connected to the various levels and times of who we are yeah i agree with that yeah i think like in my like a record of creating things i'm glad i started video recording all of my stand-up sets yeah. from the early times of stand-up because like i have my first set and i have my like comedy work set like recorded yeah i have them and, like, now I don't video them as much, but I have some good tapes here and there. And I'm, like, looking back, it's like, oh, I'm not, I'm, I'm glad I have this, like, record. Because I can say, like, oh, in three years, I've come from here to, like, here, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's really important. And we all do that mm -hmm. in our own ways. But it's really nice to have those artifacts, a video of you mm -hmm. performing, a picture of you at your 10th birthday. Yeah. Story you wrote when you were heartbroken. Like, mm -hmm. It's really nice. I always think about like when with like talking about identity, I get like frustrated with identity for myself, especially as a comedian, because like a lot of people who are really good at comedy have a definite voice, mm -hmm. like they have a good perspective and they're playing to it and they know who they are and how they fit into the world. I don't feel that as much. So I'm like, oh, what am I doing? Like, who am I? How do I matter? Like, what do I have to offer in terms of perspective? Mm -hmm. And uh, my friend Alex, Alex Richards, he, <laughs> I was talking to him about this. He's like, you know, there's something to be said for just being like a reliable and safe person. And I was like, dude, there's something to be said for actually being funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, it's like when I look at it, I'm like, oh. When, when I get bummed out about my own progress, like, am I not doing enough? Am I not, like, pushing forward enough? Have I not found my voice enough? I do this exercise in my brain where I go, okay, am I further along than where I was last year at this time? And then I keep going back 
And it's like every time I go back, there's not a single year where I'd rather be than right now. So I'm like, oh, okay, like I'm yeah. fine. I am developing in a way that I, I like, you know? Yeah, that, that says a lot if you can pass that test and you say today. I also feel the same way. Yeah. I even if like even if the elements of your life are like mixed up or something, as long as you have like the growth mindset, I feel like you can look back and be like, you know, I might have this a little bit more difficult than last year, but like I know how to handle it better, or, like I've developed mm-hmm. as a person, you know. Yeah. Is that tw- that 20 shit. <laughs> yeah, the 20 shit is difficult. And the whole this whole search for voice and identity makes me think of this james baldwin quote that i could be in thinking about it now maybe i've misunderstood what it means um but he has this and maybe not but he has this quote that the artist's search for their integrity is a metaphor for how we all search for that Mm. and so i think there's and i really i live in metaphor and that's that's a really beautiful thing to me that the you that's what I was thinking about as you're talking about finding your voice as a comedian and how that is you know and as a writer you have to find your voice as a musician as a painter as a person we have to find our voice and who we are and that the artists search for that why people love that so much is because it is we connect to that i'm also searching for that and Mm. then the phase of looking for your voice i feel like as artists we're always trying to get to the point where we found it but then we're missing that the journey of seeking that is what people are going to connect to not not the achieving moment or the thing right because it's like you know if we're as artists trying to reflect growth and identity and and searching for other people to connect with then it is the searching that is the most valuable not the discovered even though as artists that's what we need in Mm -hmm. order to communicate yeah it's one of those like you have to live it to to reflect it type of things absolutely it's like into that it's like the journey is more important than than the destination yeah but also once in a while i would love to have like a little destination to take a break at you know just a little (laughs) island to be like let's chill out for a second yeah that was a lot i feel like early and like like stand up for me i had definite goals where i was like okay i want to first i need to get good enough to get booked on a show okay, now I want to get booked on like the Comedy Works New Talent Night. And then I was like, oh, I want to move to New York. Oh, I want to get to like start, be a part of the scene here and meet people. Oh, I want to start hosting my own open mic. Oh, I want to get booked on shows here. And then after a while, all those benchmarks just kind of like went away in my brain. And I'm like, now I just need to be present and work at the things I have and like just keep keep going. Exactly. At At a point, it's just something that you do right you're like trying to build something but then after a certain point it just becomes something that you do right and this podcast is actually a great example (laughs) Mm -hmm. because the the podcast i had before this with connor uh small town radio go check it out the episodes are still worth a listen um it was like that was like i felt like we didn't know as much about audio editing as we do now. Mm-hmm. And it took a lot more time to get the episodes cleaned up and sounding good. And like, how does the process flow? Okay, I'm going to go to your place. 
We're going to record for an hour and a half. We're going to plan. We're going to do social media strategy. And then we're going to, one of us is going to edit all week and <laughs> we're going to put it together. And it's like, it became like so much work. And as we got better at that, this podcast, like this takes, I, I talk about this and shot this episode. This takes me however long the recording takes me plus another 30 to 40 minutes a week. And I just do yeah. it like unconsciously. And this is one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot in terms of like like projects is you kind of tend towards the path of least resistance you know like in your own skills yeah like yes it's important to challenge yourself and push yourself but sometimes the thing that you're already good at doing you can be really good at doing and not have to like grind it out as hard and this is like one of those projects like this podcast i get a lot of good feedback about this and this is just something I can do without like racking my brain or sweating about it a lot. You know, yeah. I can just make these like this. This is epic. You just miss it. This is episode 49. We almost yeah. got you to 50. Almost was the 50th <laughs> one. Would have been awesome. So it's like the, the fact that I'm going to pretty soon here, I'm going to be at like a year of doing this. And there was sometimes yeah, it was like crazy. challenging to line up guests, but also thinking like, Oh, I'm almost at the point where I've recorded 52 times an hour and a half, like, length of podcast, you know? At this point, the <laughs> the amount of content I've recorded is almost, a, is like more than a full work week of yeah, time, yeah. you know? Like, you could Dang. sit, you could wake up Sunday morning at 5 a.m. and start listening to this podcast at episode one. And by the next, like, by that Saturday night, you might be wrapping it up, you know? Yeah, there's, and that's so beautiful to watch something grow little right. bit by little bit over time. Like, mm -hmm. you talk about just watering your plants every mm -hmm. week and watching them grow. That's just, this makes me think of what, um, of, of like, at the beginning of, of quarantine, I was like, in March or, like, May. Mm-hmm of 2020 i was like i'm gonna write my first novel i'm gonna mm. do it and i had and i started it and it was this story called the foundation and it, i was and i was very much trying to emulate ursula Le Guin, who's like my favorite writer i fucking love her even in adulthood at to certain ex levels i'm still just imitating everything mm -hmm. um and i think that's pretty common but i i wrote this story and every single day i would sit down for an hour and write this thing and that's what i was trying to accomplish is i was like well and it was really bad it was mm -hmm. extremely it 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 came out dead if that makes any mm -hmm. sense like it was not good and i i felt like it was such I worked on it for eight months before I had to just admit that I'm trying to hold water in between my hands right now and Whoa. make an ice sculpture. It was, it was, uh, it was really bad, and it just felt I and I was like, I'm never gonna write again. Mm -hmm. This was such a horrible failure. Like all my self critics inside of me and my doubts are right. I'm never gonna fucking do this. I might as well just quit. And then I kept writing every single day 
during this period. And of Mm -hmm. course, it's like I'm journaling every single day, but I'm finding myself still sitting down at the same time every day Mm -hmm. and writing for an hour. And now my journal entries are getting a lot longer because I'm not splitting the time, half journaling, half writing this foundation book. And then uh, I I realized that within this this failure, um, the I had been so focused on the goal, the destination of I'm going to write this book, and Max is going to be so impressed, and <laughs> I'm finally going to feel like a real yeah. writer, and my imposter syndrome is going to go away, and I'm going to get published, and maybe I'll make ten dollars, and it'll be awesome. But then it was it was really like. Oh, it was what I established during that time, even though I didn't have this like goal and that manifested, what I got was this writing practice every single day that over this time I developed the skills Mm -hmm. to to move on now. And I see you developing these skills over time with Mm -hmm. this podcast and through Small Town Radio too. Yeah. Listening to your first episode versus like the last one from last week, yeah. There's you're so much better at interviewing. You understand that, like on your 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 side of the audio engineering and yeah. the editing of it. There's this hold that, like, maybe something doesn't. And I'm not saying this about this podcast, but with my writing, like, maybe something doesn't build up to this goal that you wanted it to be. Right. But during that time you were developing something else and maybe that is that's how i survived the disappointment of that was like wow mm. i'm still writing for an hour yeah. every single day and now it's just something i do right i don't have to try to look for inspiration to sit down and write a story all at once like most of those books are mm-hmm. on the stack here like a lot of them were like first draft send it out whoa like maybe a little bit of line editing but now it's like i know how to sit with something i'm rewriting me in the mayfly mm-hmm. i'm you know, like there's there's a maturity that comes with doing something every single day. Totally. And that's, you know. I mean, that's like that, just gaining that discipline and like yeah. you're living in, like you haven't had anything necessarily shake up your ability to do that. You Like you mentioned to me coming here is that like in your world back home right now, you live in a very controlled environment where you're like, you know what's going on, you know your boundaries with the world around you and like what you how you spend your time there, right? Yeah. And so it's like just being able to have that and being like, oh, I'm gonna sit down for the same hour every day and write, and you're not having any large interruptions to that lifestyle. You're just gaining this like super disciplined habit. Yeah, and trying to do it here for my first two days of this trip, I still managed to write. Wow. But then since then, I haven't. And it's, you know, we establish our comfort zones over time. And every time they're disrupted, we're all freaked out. Sometimes you need a total obliteration in order to, (laughs) like, in order to realize, like, oh, why was I doing that? Or, Mm -hmm. yeah, I was kind of acting defensively around this one thing. Like, I don't know. As 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 a traumatized person and as, as a healing person, it's it's important for me to find find comfort and safety, but then also allow those boundaries to dissolve in order for self reflection. This trip has been great for that. Really? Yeah. And what do you want to talk about at all? 
No, but okay. like connecting it to the other books that I've written, right? Like Me and the Mayfly, Love Lost, um, Jesus Was a Punk. These three like travel stories, basically, yeah. Um, came from periods of dissolving of boundaries mm-hmm. into a trip. I think that's what's so nice about taking a trip is a little vacation from yourself in some ways, right, like right. entering a new place, and it takes you out of the the psychic boundaries that you've created, like it just in the spaces we inhabit. Interesting. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I feel like right before uh, quarantine, mm-hmm. I went on a work business trip and this was like such a weird thing for me because it was a training. It was like eight hours a day for like four days in a row. Right. So I go to the work training and I was in this, this place where there's nothing going on. Right. So mm-hmm. I just stayed in the hotel and I like, wrote jokes and i did push-ups and i had like one meal a day for like four days in a row and i was like this is like a weird thing i'm doing but also i'm kind of in the zone (laughs) yeah and that also explains artist residencies right is they're awesome for the same reason i try to treat my trips as little mini artist residencies Mm -hmm. because they allow you to go into context like your trip you use that in order to focus very in a very narrow way mm-hmm. on writing and moving and that's what artist residencies are for also right yeah see yeah. that one was like good because i was going to a place where there was nothing happening i was staying in some awful yeah. business park and like but i've got a trip i'm going to michigan in a week um and we're going to like lake michigan and this is the first time i'm going to be there and i have now i'm a photographer now i've got this thing Heck i'll yeah. be with family i'm going to like I'm go- I have a rental car, which is good. I'm going to be an adult and get a rental car. Nice, and nice. I'm going to be taking all sorts of badass photos. And I'm so excited because, like, I got the camera right before quarantine. And I was like, all right, every trip I do now, I get to do a little photography. Yeah. And then coronavirus hit. And I was oh. like, all right, I'll wait. Yeah. <laughs> right. I guess I'll take five more of my cat. Yeah. So definitely uh like i I understand like the getting away and like the breaking of boundaries to like figure some out you know it's important it's really great also anything in in my world anything you do that is outside of your routine it's a source for material that's just how it is (laughs) it's like like lee was like you should go to therapy at the very least you'll get some material out of it (laughs) yeah at the very least at the very least i was like you're right you're right (laughs) it's true just having um like you here has been interesting because i took all all this time off work yeah to do some like touristy stuff and thank you for doing that of course um and what's fun when you live in new york city and you live like the lifestyle i do it's like every every day of every week is the same i work a certain amount of time and then I have some evening comedy or other creative thing going on that I need to do. And then have, taking away the work time from that, where we're just like, oh, we're just going to go to this part of the city. We're going to walk around and we're going to get food here and do this. It's kind of nice because it resets like, oh, I do live in this amazing place. I don't mm-hmm. live. I'm not. I don't live in just the spaces that I work. I yeah. live in like a broader thing. In the it's context. Fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And a lot of people who live here say like they don't ever do the touristy stuff until someone comes to visit them, and they're like, "All right, let's go." Like, that's, yeah, it's just we got to do it. Yeah, so. walking through Times Square, like, well, this is different yeah. from the rest of what I've seen. <laughs> walking the Brooklyn Bridge is like 
that's my staple now. I think. Yeah, it's really cool. Very cool. The first time I was here when I was interviewing for uh, my job, I stayed near there and it had rained all day and I had finished the job interview was like the next day and it had rained all day and I went outside with a rain jacket and the rain was subsiding a little bit, but it was still mm-hmm. cloudy. And I walked down to the Brooklyn Bridge and there was nobody on it. And it was still like kind of raining a little bit. And when I saw the skyline on the other side, I got like chills. And I was like, oh, this is where I got to be. I know this is the right spot. It's nice. very cool. Yeah. So. we need, I need to go draw Daryl on the Brooklyn Bridge. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Um, Daryl's is- in New York somewhere. I remember someone sending me a picture that, that they drew it here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, needs more. We could definitely do that. We can make that happen for sure. Um, uh, for any police listening, this is not a <laughs> this is not a confession. <laughs> yes, it is. So I want to ask you though. Um, this is going to be probably a little bit longer of an episode, but maybe with it. What um what's your writing process like? So you mentioned that like these stories here. This is like you sit down and you bang it out front to back. Mm-hmm. do you how has your process evolved are you doing outlines now are you like giving more thought to the story and actually the writing structure or yes the foundation the one that the stillborn novel that one <laughs> yeah i'm sorry i didn't want to say it just in case sorry, sorry it's fine somebody um it uh it i just started writing it and was like oh, i'll figure it out along the way mm-hmm. and that was why it collapsed in on itself right. is just like it had ironically it had no foundation <laughs> and and that really bothered me when i first connected that but um <laughs> there so i i have since it outlined and it is amazing um mm-hmm. it creates you really i realize that not everyone i really need that that solid foundation of understanding of knowing like what happens for the entire story right instead of starting and being like i have a few ideas maybe go over here over here but i don't know how it's going to end no now i want to know everything that happens beforehand Mm -hmm. and then there's still the the act of creation of getting there right and it it kind of becomes i've like few things i've written i haven't written a ton but like Mm -hmm. i find the outline is like very much like once you have the outline you can get the vibe of the story down and then it becomes kind of like a paint by numbers it's just like oh i just got to fill in this this piece to get from here to here and this piece to get from here to here yeah and i always thought that would be that would take the fun out of it or take the the magical feeling that i get when i'm sitting alone writing Mm -hmm. out of it but it does not it actually gives me the reassurance that I I can reference and I know where I'm going. I got the roadmap and I just need to walk mm. it and fill it out. What did you think about the uh, the note cards idea from last episode with Belton? The bulletin board with the note cards? Those seem really good for screenwriting. Mm. Um, and I have I have done a version of that before where I have a little box. Um, there's someone house sitting for me right now and i was like hey and you know my paranoia of course i'm like just in case there's a fire grab these things my journals and this one box of note cards with story (laughs) ideas in it or like and so i originally tried to do uh Mm -hmm. i ran into a note card thing um watching videos sometime a few years ago and so tried to outline on the note cards but i've since gone to google sheets Mm -hmm. and it is and i for my job I use 
I use Google Drive all the time. Oh, yeah. And so I like it is so much better for me to be sitting on Google Sheets outlining stuff. I can color code everything. I'm so visual. Like it's been so helpful. Dude, I use Google Sheets all the time for work. It's awesome. I'm sure you're not using it for math and such, but I do for, <laughs> really? for work. Oh, yeah. for work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's <coughs> as an organizational tool. Yeah. Amazing. Ten out of ten. I like love it. Every time I do a project now and I share it with someone else, we create an, a, G, a Gmail address for that project. And then like a Google, I'll make like a Google sheet in the drive of yeah. like the schedule or the tasks or a breakdown of the thing. Yeah, it's really nice. So that's how I've been outlining mm. recently. And one thing too that you mentioned, um, you mentioned you're like, I either need to write memoir or I need to write fiction. Mm-hmm. When, what are you leaning towards right now? Uh, fiction, for sure. Okay. Yeah. And I'm still kind of like, um, I had a group of friends in Durango when, when I moved, I work at, I work at the same summer camp that I went to in 2018. Yeah. It's a boarding school. I work, I dwelled arts Academy. I work there now year round, but, um, um, but I separate like doing fiction and separating from yourself friends in Durango. Oh yeah, they all. I left to move to Idlewild Arts, and this group of friends, the three of them, entered grad school to become counselors and therapists and clinical mm-hmm. analysts. And then I'm sitting here doing attendance and detention at a boarding school and writing my stories. And I'm like, oh my god, there's such a part of me that feels like I've been left out of that. That I'm, I'm, I'm behind. I need to catch. Like some part of me really mm-hmm. feels like one day. I'm going to become a therapist. Mm-hmm. And then another part of me is like, no, I'm going to be the weird reclusive writer in the woods. Who's gonna <laughs> be fucking... I figured you would be the writer in the woods. <laughs> yeah, It seems like when I bring this up to people, they most often say that. Mm-hmm. And part of me also, like, despite uh, your very naturalistic lifestyle in a lot of ways, I think you would also really vibe here in like, the community as like because i think like you analyze like you're so so much you're writing you're not writing for like landscape or like stories about like places you're writing about like people yeah. and like emotions and experiences yeah, character driven over everything emotionally character driven right so like that stuff like i'm like oh this is like the place to be for just like watching so much character so many characters like the people energy here as a place is so strong that yeah. like part of me is like I could see Campbell just coming here and walking around with headphones and staring at people in the park. Like, <laughs> yeah, and I've done a lot of that mm-hmm. during this trip. It's been really nice. I have a I get overstimulated mm-hmm. very easily. I don't understand why, but um, that that's what I see as a a roadblock to that is kind yeah. of like it. Ugh. It definitely takes some time. I think I was like really overstimulated for the first like few weeks here. And then after a while, it's like, okay, fine. We're good. We're good. Yeah. Maybe I would adjust. But I, yeah, I, lo- I like the city a lot. I think I could see myself here. It's cool. And also, like, one, one huge benefit is, like, just by the numbers game, there are so many people that are actually our age who live here. You know, like, I feel like there's mm-hmm. so many places in the country where you go and it's either like a college town and everyone's too young or it's like a suburb and everyone's like too old. 
And it's like, yeah, there's live, like a good middle ground here. I live on top of a mountain with teenagers or a bunch of people who are married with kids. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah, the the same age connection is something I'm real. Yeah. I'm mostly lacking right now. This This feels like the college experience that I missed out on. Because That's I'm really just, cute. That's good. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, when I went to see you Boulder, I was not into partying at all. Yeah. And I was, like, still coming on my shelf, figuring it out. And when I went to see you Denver, all my friends were as old as I am now. They're all, like, you know, 27, 28 to, like, mm-hmm. 32. So their idea of, like, going, having a good time is, like, all right, we're going to go out after class and grab two beers at the local brewery. And then we're all going to go Ooh, our separate ways, you know? Yeah, <laughs> a very sleepy time. There's no, like, Greek life or parties or anything. Yeah, but now you're getting that yeah. kind of social... Yeah, it it doesn't even have to be like parties. Just like when I go to a comedy show, it's nice because like I have such a we have such a huge network that it's like we always bump into people we like. We can hang out and have some conversations, and mm-hmm. like there's just so much stuff to do, and there's so many people who are present and want to be included. It's it's really great. Yeah, that's important for everyone. I wish everyone had access to that. Mm-hmm. That's really necessary for health and so i've been talking to my mom about this lately but like i've really come come around to the importance of community Mm -hmm. i like really think i've thought about it a lot and i'm like when i think to myself oh how am i gonna what what's gonna make me happy right like what does happiness look like? And sometimes I'm like, oh, I want to be great at something. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why do I feel that? And the truth is I just want people to recognize me for the effort I put in and the things I create. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't actually, that doesn't actually have to be, oh, you're great and you're famous. That just boils down to, you just want to be part of a community that supports you and appreciates you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I feel like that's something that's been on my mind a lot. And like in previous times, I'd be like, I'd be like, no, I'm more like alone, like I'm more like an isolated type person. But now I'm like, oh, it's so important to be in the motion of a community where everyone knows each other and contributes. And like, I don't know. It's really good. Yeah, that's the community health is also a big part of, mm-hmm. I don't know, belonging and meaning and purpose and mm-hmm. all the all the yummy stuff in yeah. life <laughs> yeah i feel like i purged all of like young evil max through just like <laughs> social exposure it's, like, oh, no, yeah. it's, it's cool out here people are nice yeah. <laughs> don't worry you're safe <laughs> all right campbell um do you have anything you want to plug before we hit out uh yeah you can follow me on instagram underscore candy underscore warhol and andy warhol is not the greatest person ever but we have the same birthday and he did a campbell soup thing so that's the connection oh yeah <laughs> and i made a tiktok uh midnight in the mountains mm-hmm. and uh yeah so follow campbell on instagram and tiktok he um he posts eccentric nature type stuff uh land art is what you have been calling it to me yeah i'm currently in the land art phase of just making stuff out of natural objects yeah so follow campbell when he uh writes a thing ask him for it (laughs) and uh guys thank you so much for tuning in this week campbell thank you for doing this this has been a lovely trip having you here yeah i'm so glad to be part of the myth the the legend (laughs) don't quit your day job thanks so much no yeah this is this is great i was like i i did a couple zoom interviews 
<laughs> but I was like, for you, I was like, I'm I'm gonna wait until it's in person, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> and I have some something in my throat. I don't know what, but guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you like the episode. Stick around for next week's episode. Have a good weekend. Uh, oh, rate the podcast. Give it five stars. Write a review on Apple Podcasts because it's my birthday and you love me. Do it. Oh, yeah. And happy birthday, Mac. Thank you. Uh, we'll we'll do birthday stuff tomorrow. But uh, you guys, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for listening as always. And um, hail Daryl. Hail Daryl. <laughs> All right. Bye.